This is Matt. I'm the lead pastor at Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. My prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, If we can connect you with a local church or discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at discoverwbc.com. Good morning, church. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 5 today. Hebrews 5. Jesus is greater than any high priest. Jesus Christ is our high priest forever. And because of that, we can say that his death and the resurrection is more than enough to provide eternal salvation to all who believe and obey him. And because of that, we can find rest through this high priest. And we should pursue maturity in our faith. We should not remain on milk for our nourishment, but to dig deep into the truth of God's Word. Let's look at chapter 5 of Hebrews. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed in matters pertaining to God for the people, to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he is also clothed with weakness. Because of this, he must make an offering for his own sins as well as for the people. No one takes this honor on himself. Instead, a person is called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not exalt himself to become a high priest, but God said to him, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Also says in another place, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. During his earthly father, uh, earthly life, sorry, he offered prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was the son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. After he was perfected, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, and he was declared by God a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. We have a great deal to say about this, and it is difficult to explain, since you have become too lazy to understand. Although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. You need milk, not solid food. Now everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness, because he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. Last Sunday in Hebrews 4, Pastor Matt emphasized Christ's superiority from that chapter and his ability to sympathize with us in our own weaknesses. We learned that Jesus was tempted in every way, yet he did not sin. Now, as we enter chapter 5 today, the writer of Hebrews points us to his appointment as a high priest. So in the first four verses, we see that he was not self-appointed, but rather he was appointed by God. Israel could trace the succession of high priests back to Aaron, the brother of Moses. Aaron was the first high priest chosen to represent his people. In the Old Testament days, the high priest was the man appointed that represented the people before God. But who chose them? Who chose the high priest? 
Did they call together a special business meeting and nominate someone? I don't think so. Or did they have a ballot box to check a name of someone they wanted to lead them? No. According to verse 4, only God appointed high priest. His main task was to be spending a lot of time at the temple at the altar. He was the one that offered the gifts and the sacrifices. And unless these sacrifices were offered in the right place by the right person, they were not acceptable to God. And in verse 2, we see this high priest is, as Scripture says, able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he is also clothed in weakness. Now, the word ignorant here is not the word that we sometimes use when someone's acting a fool, right? But rather, it has to do with their lack of knowledge and, and even the type of sin that they were committing. You see, any Jew should have known the law. They were commanded to know it. Deuteronomy says they were to meditate on it day and night and to write it on their hearts. So to be called ignorant of this was to mean one deliberately disregarded the law or they wandered away from the things of God. A priest would not offer up sacrifices for sins that are done willfully by those who knew better. Those sins were actually punished by death. How would you like that one, right? The word ignorant here in verse 2 pertains to sins committed in resistance of knowledge and periods of unbelief. Now, Paul, even though he wasn't a high priest, was kind of an example of what I'm trying to get across to you with this word ignorance. In 1 Timothy 1, verses 12 through 14, we read, I give thanks to Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, appointing me to the ministry. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an arrogant man. Listen to this. I received mercy because I acted out of ignorance in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So you can see some sins were punished by death. All other sins, namely ignorances and errors, were confessed, were forgiven with sacrifices done by the high priest. And just to give us a little more meat, a little more context to this, bear with me, it's kind of a long passage. I just want to make sure we're drawing this from the Word. In Numbers 15, verses 22 through 31, we learn that even sins committed through ignorance of God's commandments still have to be atoned for. And here's how it's worded in Numbers 15. When you sin unintentionally and do not obey all these commands that the Lord spoke to Moses, all that the Lord has commanded you through Moses from the day the Lord issued the commands and onward throughout your generations, and if it was done unintentionally without the community's awareness, the entire community is to prepare one young bull for a burnt offering as a pleasing aroma to the Lord with its grain offering and a drink offering according to the regulation and one male goat as a sin offering. The priest then must make an atonement for the entire Israelite community so that they may be forgiven for the sin was unintentional. They are to bring the offering, one made by fire to the Lord, and their sin offering before the Lord for their unintentional sin. The entire Israelite community and the foreigner who resides among them will be forgiven since it happened to all the people unintentionally. It continues, if one person sins unintentionally, he is to present a year-old female goat as a sin offering. 
The priest must then make atonement before the Lord on behalf of the person who acts in error, sinning unintentionally. And when he makes atonement for him, he will be forgiven. You are to have the same law for the person who acts in error, whether he is an Israelite or a foreigner who lives among you. But the person who acts defiantly, whether native or foreign resident, blasphemes the Lord. That person is to be cut off from his people. He will certainly be cut off because he has despised the Lord's word and broken his command. His guilt remains on him. <laughs> Aren't you glad we're in a day of grace now? All right? I did all that for a reason. I wanted you to see just how busy the high priest was offering gifts and sacrifices for all the people for all different kinds of sins, intentionally or unintentional. And why was the high priest able to deal with our ignorance? Well, verse 2 says, because he is also clothed with weakness. Weakness does not just refer to our human tendency to give in to temptation, but to our capacity to feel it also. You see, our weakness is human frailty itself. We experience hunger and desires and the pains to which we're subjected to, which push and pull against our wills. And so Jesus, in taking on human nature, took on our weaknesses as well. At every point and every way, Jesus was tested as we are. In fact, he was tested and tempted beyond the point at which many times we will give in to. And in verse 3, we see a link here between God and man, the Old Testament priest. And we find that he was not enough either. The reason was because they were not perfect men. They were a shadow representing the perfect high priest that was coming. This is why, as we see in verse 3, Old Testament priests had to make an offering for their own sin before they could offer uh, offerings for the people. Last week, in verse 14 of chapter 4, we were affirmed that in Jesus we have a great high priest. And as a human being, he is able to sympathize with us in our weakness. Yet, he is also God. The Son has gone into heaven to take his stand in the very presence of the Father. And now here in, in Hebrews 5, the writer says more about Jesus' humanity and his relationship to his present high priestly ministry that's going on. Because Jesus is both God and man, he is an adequate link then between us and the Father. You see, when we fail, when we're ashamed or overwhelmed, and we need help desperately, that's not the time to pull away from God. It's the time to go closer to God. We can rest assured that we're loved and cared for. And Jesus in his humanity and in his infinite wisdom will understand. We learned last week he actually goes to battle for us in the midst of our struggles. So don't shy away from God during those times. That's when he is fighting for us and going before us. And Jesus, God is the Father, is able to heal and bring about transformation in our lives through that time of suffering. So in verse 4, we see that Jesus Christ did not appoint himself as high priest, even though he could have. He was appointed by God the Father, just as Aaron was. 
There's a quotation in Hebrews 5, verse 5. It's actually direct uh, text from Psalm 2-7. And this psalm was already quoted back in chapter 1 when we were studying that to, to prove that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. But here in this verse, it's on the priesthood of Jesus, not on his deity. You see, when Aaron was ordained to the priesthood, he offered the sacrifices of animals. But Jesus Christ, to become our high priest, offered the sacrifice of himself. And then he arose from the dead. He didn't remain in the grave. You see, two factors make Christ's priesthood very unique and his ordination even greater. Number one, he is a high priest forever. No Old Testament priest ministered forever because they eventually died and relinquished that office to his successor. And since he is a priest forever, church, we can rest in the fact that he gives his people salvation forever. And the second factor that makes his ordination so unique is that he belongs, as Scripture says, to a different order from the Old Testament priest. They belong to the order of Aaron, but he belongs to the order of Melchizedek. Now, what is that all about? <laughs> I have learned how to spell Melchizedek these, these last couple of weeks. I've been in the Word a lot about this, and uh, it's such a key concept in Hebrews. And we're going to take a lot of time to examine and understand it uh, in, in uh, sermons uh, beginning in the new year. We'll take a little break for, at Christmas time. But look at verse 5. I'm just going to touch on it and introduce it a little bit and kind of set things up for uh, continuing on with chapters 6 through 8. Uh, but in verse 5, we read, In the same way Christ did not exalt himself to become a high priest, but God who said to him, You are my son, today I have become your father, also says in another place, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So he is quoting again here from another psalm, Psalm 110 and verse 4, where the Messiah is prophetically pointed out as a priest after the order of Melchizedek. It's a distinguishing characteristic of this order of priesthood, being that it is an eternal one, forever, it says. In the Old Testament, Melchizedek is described as a king of Salem and a priest, all the way back in Genesis 14. But in this Psalm 110 and verse 4, Melchizedek is described as a priest and a king, which I find very interesting. And this psalm suggests that another Melchizedek will come from David's lineage. Interesting. So Melchizedek is mentioned in other writings apart from the Bible. You'll, you'll see him mentioned in Jewish non-biblical books, the Dead Sea Scroll text, and in writings of Josephus and uh, Philo. But there are no records of his beginning of his life, nor an end of his life. Interesting, right? There was no line of priestly succession. So the phrase, according to the order, means that Jesus' priesthood is part of God's sovereign purpose. He is to be a priest forever. So I'm going to leave Melchizedek on the shelf, and we're going to move forward and let Pastor Matt handle all that later. <laughs> Let's look at verses 7 through 10. We see in verse 7 that Jesus, while on earth, he offered prayers and appeals, it says, with loud cries and tears. I think of Gethsemane when I read this, right? 
I think of how knowing what was ahead of him, it drove him to pray with loud cries and tears. And uh, Scripture says that he even, uh, you know, blood seeped out of him because it was such an intense time of prayer. It's hard for us to fathom that. Note that Jesus prayed to the one who could save him from death, not to save him from dying, because there's a difference. And God did just that, taking Jesus from the very grip of death into resurrection. Yet Jesus' suffering was extended to the ultimate test. All the human suffering laying up to the time of the cross and then dying on a cross for you and me. Jesus surely does understand human weakness because he experienced all that it could possibly mean. And that next verse, verse 8, says he was able to learn obedience from the things he suffered. Wow. We never benefit from our trials or sufferings if we react rebelliously or we try to deny or totally eliminate our suffering. Because when we pray during our suffering, we're like, make this go away. Take the pain, take the disease, take the issues away. Yet God is seeking to strengthen us through every experience of life that has come our way. Jesus not only endured his suffering, he embraced it. And he embraced it willingly for you and for me. Man, from birth to death, our Lord experienced the challenges of human nature. He knew what it was like to grow up in a poor town. He knew how to, uh, to work. He experienced hunger and thirst as well as getting tired. He was weary. He also faced all the temptations to sin and persecutions from the hands of sinful men. So I find it interesting, and I had to ask myself the question, how could the Son of God learn obedience in the same way that anyone here must learn obedience through the experiences of life? We have to remember that our Lord in His earthly walk lived by faith in the Father's will, in human flesh. But as God, He needed to learn nothing because he knew everything, right? But as the Son of God come in human flesh, he had to experience that which his people would experience so that he would be able to minister to us as a high priest. He didn't need to learn how to obey because it would be impossible for God to be disobedient, right? But rather, as the God-man in human flesh, he had to learn what was involved in obedience. And in doing so, in this way, he identified with us. So as he faced the cross, it was not just the terrible physical suffering that burdened Jesus, but the fact that he would be willing to bear all of our sin and be separated from his Father. No other servant ever bore on his body the sins of the whole world, and nobody will ever do it since, because he doesn't have to. But Jesus did because he is greater. He is greater than sin. He is greater than death. He overcame it all. The point here is simple. God wants us to know that Jesus' death and resurrection is more than enough because Jesus is greater. There's no more need for us to sacrifice for sin. 
By his one sacrifice, Jesus made the perfect sacrifice forever. Nothing more is needed. We can't earn it. We can't work for it. We never need another sacrifice, and we don't need another high priest to go to because Jesus is greater than any other high priest that ever lived. No one can do what he has done. And we have to rest in this church. The debt has been paid for us. The offering has been given. Rest in His grace and rest in His mercy upon us. Look at verse 9. Jesus was perfected, it says, through suffering. Perfected so much that He became the source of eternal life. But wait a minute, again, wasn't He already perfect? Is there a contradiction here? No. Yes, he was perfect. Yes, he is perfect. But he was perfected in the sense that he had to learn obedience through suffering as a requirement for being a qualified high priest. And through that perfection, he offers us eternal salvation for all who confess and obey him. And the assurance of our salvation is rock-solid, church, because it's rooted in Jesus' priesthood that was sovereignly appointed by God the Father, made perfect through His obedience to suffering and the death on a cross. So kind of to put that all together in nice little bullet fashion for you, there's four qualifications of a high priest, and I've mentioned all these. Number one, high priest must be appointed by God to represent mankind before God. Secondly, high priests must offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. High priests must be able to sympathize with others, and they must offer sacrifices for their own sins. Jesus meets all the requirements of a true high priest, and he differs from all other priests in one critical area. He is perfect, and we are not <laughs> by a long shot. He is greater than all other priests because he is the high priest of God and man. And then the last part of this chapter, um, the writer of Hebrews kind of takes a, a turn here and he gives a warning to his readers that must be heeded by all believers, quite frankly. It's a warning to believers of immaturity and falling away from the faith. He's basically saying it's time for the readers to grow up. That's what he's saying there. In verse 11, we find there is much to say about the high priest. He wanted to tell them more. But he's like, you can't handle it. You're, you're infants. He's like, you're, you're slow to learn. You're too lazy to understand. He wants to continue talking about the Christ's priesthood, but he stops teaching and he starts rebuking. Any teachers in the room? Where are my teachers? It's okay, you can raise your hand. <laughs> Thank you. Some retired, some still active. Ever feel sometimes teachers like your students are too lazy to understand? Like they're just not into it? Yeah, I've been seeing a lot of heads. Uh, it's frustrating, isn't it? You know, you've done your lesson plans, you've done your prep, and you're really excited to go. And they're like... <sighs> we see that on Sunday, too. I'm just saying. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> My point is, it gets frustrating to a teacher if the students aren't eager to learn, right? And, you know, you've done everything you can, and they're just not into it. And maybe you've discipled somebody, and 
they kind of peeked out and they're like, yeah, okay, we got to do this again. Okay, you know, what chapter are we in? As compared to, man, I can't wait to get to, when we getting back together again because I'm so hungry to learn more about Melchizedek or whatever, right? And when you really get into it, it's such a different setting. And so verse 12 is saying, they should have been teachers themselves by now, yet they're still on the basics. You see, church, it's one thing to read the Word, read a little devotional or something, but it takes a whole lot more effort, doesn't it, to really study God's Word, meditate on it, chew on it, and practice it in real life. It takes a lot of more effort. The Hebrew learners apparently had become complacent, maybe mentally lazy when it comes to study and meditation. They refused to move from the elementary truths of God's Word Many had believed, but they had never grown beyond that point. Many believers in our day have grown in the Word up to a certain point of maturity where they know just enough. And then at some point they drift away. Maybe they get out of the spiritual disciplines for a while. Maybe they pulled away from those who were speaking truth into their life. Perhaps you got hurt in ministry. Well, join the club. Many of us have been hurt, right? But you can overcome all that through the healing power and forgiveness of our Lord Jesus. We can't live in the past, hold grudges, continue to claim the victim card the rest of our lives. Because there is true freedom in Christ, church. And it can be found in God's Word, through God's Spirit, and through God's people. Don't miss out on that. Don't pull away when the times get hard. Draw closer to God. And you'll have the benefits of all that. Verse 12 said they needed a teacher to teach the basic principles of God's revelation again. I keyed in on that word again because that means they had already been taught at least once, probably multiple times, but they had already forgotten, right? And in verse 13, we read that they're not acquainted with righteousness because they were still living on milk rather than solid food. Look, not all of us are called to be teachers or pastors. I get it. But we were all called to make disciples. So Romans 3.21 and 22 teaches us that righteousness comes only from God through Jesus Christ. So we have to take responsibility for our own spiritual growth. You can't blame it on your Sunday school teacher that doesn't talk to you anymore now that you're older. You can't blame it on, I didn't like the time of the service. Come on, let's get past that stuff. Let's get into the Word and grow. Uh, this week during Thanksgiving, I'm, I'm sure all you had family gathered around. We had our three sons, their families, all seven of the grandsons around the table. It was awesome. A house full. My youngest grandson, who is actually here today, downstairs, um, uh, he's like 18 months. So I didn't expect him to like eat a whole lot of turkey and all the stuff that we were eating. I don't expect him to, you know, bite into a steak or eat steamed shrimp or pick crabs, right? That would be a disaster for everybody. But my oldest grandson, who was also here this day, which is awesome, I didn't know he was coming, he's all about that stuff. He, he can destroy some seafood if you put it in front of him. I've seen him do it. Hebrews is saying here that there's a time for milk as an infant, but by now you should be eating solid food. Church, how about you? Are you, are you still on the milk 
Were you ready for the food? Solid stuff. Then in verse 14, to close out, we see only the mature in the faith can discern between good and evil. That's why the emphasis here is on maturity. You see, we have to stay alert. We have to stay alert to be able to control and discipline ourselves, to see what is good, to see what is evil, expose the bad, and allow the goodness of God to take over. As we apply God's Word, we exercise our spiritual senses. We develop spiritual discernment. A baby, right, parents, will put anything into their mouth that they can, right? With my 18-month, it's like, no, 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 let me have that. <laughs> oh, oh, he's over here now. Let me, uh, come here. Don't, oh, don't put that in your mouth. No, right? I mean, hey, we're empty nesters. We're trying, you know, <laughs> but I love it. But uh, an immature believer has the same kind of issues. He's going to listen to any kind of preacher on the radio or TV or listen to any podcast. He's not going to be able to discern whether it's truth from the Scriptures coming through those airwaves because he doesn't understand the Word enough to know if it's true or not. An immature believer won't invest in the next generation. They won't invest in the time to make disciples. And then, if life smacks them hard, they're left in chaos. They're left in fear. And they're like, I don't understand all this. Get in the Word. Get in the Word. Get closer to the Lord during those times. We can rest through the high priest who has sacrificed for us once and for all. He loves us so much that through a Hebrew writer, he's telling us to get up and grow and mature. Don't stay an infant. Church, grow up in your faith. Get back in the game again if you've been resting or sitting on the bench. Get back in. We got a new year coming. Maybe you got to make a fresh commitment. I don't know. But take a look at where you are, where you've been this year. Are you growing? And if not, can you make a fresh commitment to do that, to go beyond and grow beyond where you are now? Anyone is welcome to walk in these doors, but we do not want you to stay the same way year after year. We want you growing. I don't care how old you are. If you're 170, come on in and continue to grow. And I want to shake your hand, by the way. <laughs> Never, ever stop learning and growing in the Lord. Amen? So listen, we're going we're gonna to pause here in our study of Hebrews. We're going to have a short Christmas series coming up the next couple of weeks. And as the worship team comes back up to close us out, let me give you two gospel responses to what I shared with you this morning. They're pretty basic. They're pretty simple in review of what we've shared. But number one, enter into rest. Enter into rest through our high priest, the Lord Jesus. He's made the ultimate sacrifice for you and for me. And if you don't know him today, today could be the day of your salvation. I'll be over here during the next song. Come talk to me if you need prayer. Uh, Pastor Bill's in the house. Come talk to him. Or, hey, even better, just talk to the person beside you. It's a good chance they could help you out with this as well. And secondly, take responsibility for your own spiritual growth and maturity. Get involved in a life group. Get involved in a D group. And start making disciples. It's nothing better than that. We need you making disciples. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for sending your son.
to be our high priest forever. The one who always was and is and will always be forever. I pray, God, that you would grow us spiritually, both individually and as a church body. Father, may we always be a church that makes disciples that is making disciples. And may we always remember to give you the glory as we share the gospel. Give you the glory, God, for what you were doing in and through us. And may we rest. Oh, man, may we rest in the knowledge of this. In the name of Jesus, amen. You have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after Jesus, uh, please contact us and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey.